When you introduce someone, I was thinking about this. How do you introduce them? I mean, usually it's a name. Sometimes it's um, wrapped up in where you're from or what family you're a part of. Um, as, as I get to know more and more in Baker, it's okay, so you're of this family or this family, because everybody's related, it feels like, it, in some places. You know it's true. But then we start talking about stories and different things. And, and as we journey in Matthew, that's where we're at. Uh, Matthew has uh, told us of the line of Jesus' family. He's told us where he's from. And now he's going to start helping us better understand what Jesus does and where and the things that are the stories that are part of this. So I invite you to turn with me to uh, chapter 3 of Matthew. If you have your Bibles with you, there are some in the front, in your pews as well. It, or you can pull out the handy dandy Bible apps that are, are plentiful and uh, you can participate in that way. Last week as we kind of wrapped up chapter 2, uh, we read that Jesus and his family ended up in Nazareth, and that he would be called a Nazarene. Suddenly in chapter 3, it, it's like this quick break. It, it's, and, and most people understand it, it's probably a 15 to 20 year break in the story. There's this long pause, and all of a sudden we are introduced in chapter 3 to this guy who happens to be a relative of Jesus named John the Baptist. And if you've been watching The Chosen, he's crazy John. But John the Baptist is an interesting dude. Eats interesting things. Um, wears interesting clothes and preaches a very interesting message that is starting to irritate some people because he is calling out not just the people, but people, the nation of Israel to repent. And the thing is, he's gaining steam as he does this as, as he's out in the Judean wilderness and he's calling out and people are responding. They're coming from, from other places, from Jerusalem and, and, and other places and coming into to him in the wilderness to listen to him preach. And he's telling them it's time to repent, confess your sins, and be baptized. That there is a understanding of what he is saying isn't so much as it is, but it isn't of the individual as it is to the nation of Israel. And so we get this quick introduction of, of John the Baptist and his message and what he's doing in his ministry, and then all of a sudden... We are dropped into our passage this morning, starting in verse 13. 
It's a short story that we tend to, let's get on to the good stuff, and we tend to kind of blow through because it seems so familiar. And yet, as we read this story, I, I, want, us to, I want to give us permission to ask the same question that John is essentially asking Jesus in this passage. And it's this, why would Jesus be baptized? I mean, you remember John's preaching, his, his baptism are all about repentance. John comes out of the wilderness as the one prophesied by Isaiah, It's described as the voice calling out in the desert or the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He's preaching about the arrival of the kingdom of God and the need for Israel to repent and to be washed, to to be set apart. And so I... I, I, and I really need to, you to understand this is a radically offensive message to a people that, that believe that we are the chosen ones. All the other nations should bow before us because we are the chosen people of God. And yet, John is saying fundamentally that, well, actually the way you're living is more like Egypt, Babylon, in Assyria than it is the chosen people of God. That you're trying to be like everybody else, so it's time to repent and start living like the promised and said about people of God that you were meant to be. And he says, just as the pagan people the pagan converts of old had to pass through their, their own Red Sea baptism and through their own Jordan kind of experience to enter into the promised land. Now it's our turn once again. Israel, you need to stop and leave this little Egypt that you've created and enter into the promise. So this baptism that John is inviting the nation of Israel into has a deep, deep identification with sin and sinners. This baptism is a proclamation for a need for exodus as Israel would lead, had left Israel, uh, Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. This baptism preaches, I am not free. I am a slave to sin and I need to be free. And that's why it's kind of confusing to us. It was most of us have read the story. We know who Jesus is. Who, and we understand he is the divine son of God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And, and he is truly God, truly man. And he's perfect in both his humanity and his deity. And as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, he was tempted at every point and yet, just like we are, and yet he was without sin. And so that leaves us as we read this and we see him and we wonder, well, if we know who Jesus is and he is all these things, he, he's sinless, he's perfect, he's totally free, he, he doesn't need, so why was he baptized? It's the same question that John is struggling with. I would baptize you, you should be baptizing me. 
And Jesus gives him an answer. And he doesn't really clear up things as he gives this answer. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And as I was reading this, I realized these are the first words we read of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. But the thing is, and maybe John could have, if he was Peter, he probably would have. He, he, he didn't say, well, Jesus, I need you to explain this to me. Instead, what he does, he says, it, it just says, it, then John consented. He does what Jesus says. And maybe that's the point. That we need to get to the point in our own lives as we cultivate the same instinct. When Jesus speaks, we obey. When the scripture speaks, we follow through. We obey. Even as we may not fully understand all the different whys, we still need to obey. But for us this morning, we're going to ask the question why. Because Matthew is basically inviting us to do so. So we're going to start with the reason of why with what Jesus gives us. Because all other references come from this and that are facets of his answer. So Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Let's just read the text, 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now realize this isn't just a short trip. He's, it's taken probably more than a week for him to travel from, from Nazareth all the way down to where he is outside of Jericho. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Many wonder, well, what does that mean, to fulfill all righteousness? I mean, it's proper. It's, it's all these things. Well, we know that Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant, to, in, to inhabit it for his people. But there's this command. You know, we got to think about it. Well, is there a command of the Old Testament to be baptized? And the answer is both no and kind of. It's really clear. The Old Testament scriptures contain many baptisms, especially if we understand them through the commentary of the New Testament which explains that both Noah's flood and the Red Sea crossing were essentially baptisms where God's people came out of. But it doesn't command individual Israelites to be baptized in water because they as a nation came through. They were called in, in a result to be God's special people. So, but we can't all, at the same time, we can't forget who John is. He's a prophet in the spirit of Isaiah and Elijah. 
He's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of this voice that's, that's calling out and preparing the way for the Lord. And John is the final prophet of the Old Testament spirit, you know, in that covenant to the nation of Israel as a whole. And part of his message is that as a result of our repentance, be baptized. So Jesus is obeying this prophetic instruction of John to the nation of Israel. Because we can't forget that for Matthew, he's done this several times. He's helping us understand that Jesus is the uh, representative. He's reliving the story of Israel often except for where they failed and they sinned. He stood strong and keeps the covenant. He fulfills what the people of Israel couldn't and wouldn't do. So Jesus is baptized to fulfill all the righteousness. A new, living, obedient, covenant-keeping people from the stump of the old comes the new. He is baptized to identify with the sinful Israel and the sinful us. Because in his identification with us, we are brought to identify with him and through him. He's baptized for the same reason that he was crucified. Because, not because he was a sinner that deserved it, but because we are. Second reason of the why is that Jesus was baptized to show that heaven and earth are no longer to be estranged. Verse 16 tells us that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. By the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, Jesus claims all authority in heaven and on earth are his. He's the one who, who has left heaven, comes to earth, reclaims dominion over it. And we see this battle continue as we move into chapter 4, as Jesus goes into the wilderness to fight the devil's temptation. And where Adam fell, Jesus stands strong. And so he takes back what Adam surrendered to restore things as they should be. And so Jesus comes to reconcile what was estranged at the fall, heaven and earth. Paul says in Colossians 1, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So through the coming of Christ in his life, his death, his blood, his resurrection, his ascension, and his enthronement, Jesus begins to bring things back together, to restore the relationship. He reconciles all things. He does this in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 61. But the third reason that Jesus is baptized is to proclaim liberty to captives, 
good news to the poor, and salvation for the lost. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting, coming upon him. Remember, Jesus is this fulfillment of Isaiah 61. And just in verses 1 through 2, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn. And it continues on. He's here to bring about jubilee, full restoration. And some will remember the story found in Luke 4. Jesus gets up. It's, it's his time in, the, in the, the tabernacle. He gets up there in, in, in the synagogue and he starts reading from Isaiah, this passage in Isaiah. And at the end, he closes it and says, this has all been fulfilled in your presence. But here in Matthew 3, we feel this being pronounced. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And it is. It's upon Jesus here at his baptism. And as a result, he is being anointed for his ministry to liberate the captives. He's here to now give the good news to the poor. He's to bind up the brokenhearted. He's here, it's opening of prisons to the bound, proclaiming the good news of the year of the jubilee that brings all restoration and brings comfort to those who mourn. Jesus receives in this baptism his ministry of the arrival of God's kingdom. It's good news. It's great news. It's amazing news. And the thing is, it's not just for a certain people. You aren't left out. It's for everybody. It's for all mankind. It's good news for you if you are or have ever been a captive to sin. It's good news for you if you need grace or restoration. It's good news for you if you live in the midst of the ruins of God's good world that he made. Jesus comes to save people. All people. But listen, this same prophecy also makes plain that this baptism is to remind us that there is a vengeance of God. We don't talk about this as much anymore. Because we like to, f to focus on that first part, that, that yes, he's going to proclaim the year of God's favor. And that's amazing news when you understand the context of it. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but the flip side of that year of jubilee, of that full restoration of those who call him Lord, is that there is a flip side, and that is the day of vengeance of God. And as I sat there and I wrestled with this, and you look at it, you have to realize, and this may not be proper grammar for you that are teachers or have been teachers, 
But understand this, you aren't saved from nothing. You aren't saved from nothing. If, if there is no punishment, if there is no vengeance, then we don't need to be saved. But there is. Baptism is an outward sign of where we show agreement in identifying under God's saving work. But for those who choose to rebel, to not accept, to not put their faith in, to, to just say, well, I've got it on my own, I'm doing good enough. For those that are in that mindset, this is also a reminder that there is vindication, there is a judgment, there is a vengeance of God that will happen. Originally, as, as I kind of hinted at, baptism was part of a process of purification for the person that the Israelites would call a pagan. Those of not born into the Israelite family that were born into the covenant of God's people. It gave them an opportunity as they worked through this process to, to identify and fully surrender their life to be a part of the promise of Israel. And so in that process, they were accepting all the understandings of what it meant for their life. That yes, it might mean they lose everything they knew to be in their family, in their community, that they are pulled apart, that they're set apart as a result. And so they would go through this process, and in that last part, they would go through this baptism, this, this ritual cleansing through water. So as Jesus is baptized on behalf of the Israelite people, he is agreeing with John's preaching toward the salvation of God's people. That as we are identified within that, and so Paul puts it that we are grafted into the vine, that we are brought out of who you used to be, and now you are associated, adopted into the family, that now this is who you are. But at the same time, there is, in the midst of that good news, a pronouncement that if you refuse, if you do not accept, if you do not participate actively, and remember, that's not a one-time event. It's a calling in your life to live differently. That if you do not accept that, if you do not go through that, that at some point there will be a judgment that you will be held accountable for. Which will come at the return of Christ upon whoever rejects him. And all of this comes together within the promises and hope the understanding of what Jesus is doing through all of this to, to understanding that Jesus is baptized to show that he is the beloved son. He is 
God's son. That was, that's told about in Psalm 2 as well as Isaiah 42. And what's amazing here in verse 17 is, is, is the story is kind of wrapped up in this point. It, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Only three times in the New Testament is the audible voice of God heard. In each case, it's testifying to who Jesus is. That he is his well-pleased and beloved son. This language evokes the, the warning as well as the glorious song of Psalm 2. But it also brings back to mind Isaiah 42, verse 1, where God says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. So this becomes a turning point. Yes, up to this point, Matthew has been setting the things in place. He's been telling you the lineage of Jesus, that he is of the line of David. He's been telling uh, of where he went, that he came out of Egypt. And now he is in in Nazareth, that he is a Nazarene. And now as he moves into this part of the story, This turning point, because after this point, when the Spirit comes upon him, Jesus' ministry officially begins. Jesus was baptized to show that he is the royal son, the Davidic king, the son that someday all nations will acknowledge is Lord, the son in whom the Father is well pleased. The son in whom we are restored through as the beloved adopted children of God. He is here. Get ready. And our choice today, our choice every day, every minute of every day, is the same as it was for the people in Jesus' day. Will you acknowledge Jesus for who he is? Will you crown him the king and Lord of your life? And in response to that, will you repent and live differently? Or are you willing to just face the consequences for rebellion? And maybe for you this morning, you're thinking back and like me, you think back to your moment of baptism. And you're thinking back to all the times that may be passed, but what set that up. And, and I want to remind you, it's not what saved you. But instead, it was, and it still is, a statement of belief to those that are around you. And it should be today, still. That you are, have chosen, and you continually choose. It says that we must put, pick up our cross and die to ourselves daily. 
that we are part of a new creation of God that is established in Christ. That we are to live like it, not just say it happened. That we are to be salt and light. We're supposed to reflect the God who created us and his calling on our life. At baptism, we are called to be a part of the people of God. The question is, are you living like it or are you taking it for granted? Because there's a lot of people that are saying, well, I went to church once. That's not the question. The question is, who's your Lord and King? Who have you put your faith in? Are you putting it in your own actions? Your own habits? Your own captivities of sorts? Or are you putting it in Jesus who died on the cross for you? That's the question. Who are you going to crown king? Because until we answer that for our own lives, until we get to the point where we get down on our knees and we say, God, I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to be the king of my own life. I will never get it right. Until I say, I can't do it on my own and I have to rely on you, God. You may have done it once before, but you haven't been living it. It's time again. Just like John was calling out the chosen people of Israel, and he said, saying, you weren't living like you're supposed to be living. It's time to repent. It's time to repent for us today. Because until we get that part right, nothing else will be right. And I don't know where you are today in your heart and in your life. But like John, it's time for me to pronounce, it's time to get our lives right. It's time to repent of our sin. It's time to repent of our complacency. It's time to repent of playing church and get things right with God. Because nothing else will happen until we do that very thing. Lenny, I'm going to ask you to just come forward, please. And I don't want to leave today until I've given you an opportunity. It doesn't have to happen at these altars. I admit that. It can happen in your pew, but it's got to happen. It's time to get our lives straight before God and say, God, you are God and I am not. Will you be king of my life? I've tried doing it on my own and I've failed. I believe in your sacrifice. I put my faith in you. I confess my sins to you and I receive the grace that you offer me. Help me, empower me to live differently for you. If you need to do that today, I'm just gonna ask us all to close our eyes. We're gonna pray here in just a minute. But if you need to do that, I want... I don't want to skip the moment. The altars are open if, you, if that's what you need to do. 
It's a great place to put our lives on the altar of Christ. Heavenly Father, you are not a heavy-handed God. You are a loving Father that desires the absolute best for your creation, for your people. And God, I admit that some of us have gotten lazy Yes, we know that you are God, but we've been living as if we are. In various ways, in various aspects of our life, we have not laid down our life to you, and we've been holding back. And for that, we repent. We confess our sins to you. We confess our lives to you. And God, whether we did it today, we did it way, way back, we, we come to you today and we say you are our king. You are our Lord of our life. That I put my faith, my hope, my trust in you for you are the salvation that I need. I receive the gift of your son. Change me, God. Change my heart. I may not fully understand all the different things, but this I know to be true. And so I give my life to you. That you give me the hope peace, joy of a person that's been radically changed. That you give us your kingdom. You give us of yourself. And so we come before you today. God, as your people, as your church, on this corner, in this particular location, in this town, in, in this neighborhood, God, may your people stand up, rise up, and live like the people of Christ that we are called to be. You're set apart people. Not that we're better than anybody. We're just saved. We know what is true. And so help us to live that way. And God, we give you thanks today that we can understand that we have received the gift of salvation. Help us this week, empower us to live as the children of God. In your name we pray, amen.
Go and be the children of God. You're dismissed. Yes, sir. Yeah.